right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 316. With that number, we give a shout out to Christine Naren. She has taken 316 corner kicks in her 150 regular season appearances in NWSL. The midfielder has played every season of NWSL, yep, dating back to 2013. And she leads the league in regular season appearances, 150, and also across all NWSL competition. So adding in fall series, playoffs, Challenge Cup, she's at 162. And Naren even has two caps with the national team back from 2009. So shout out to Christine Naren. All right, two chats today. First with my friend Bodur. He wrote recently in Soccer America about the changes to the National Soccer Hall of Fame voting some good, some frustrating. I'm not going to say that any of them are bad, but it's still uh, a process in transition in terms of how few former players it, it lets in. So Bo and I had a, a long talk about that. He's been covering women's soccer a long time and has been a voter for the Hall of Fame for a long time. And then I chatted with Dariush of the Twitter handle Art NWSL. Dariush started... Uh, doing illustrations of NWSL goals and saves this past fall. He actually self-published a great book of all the great moments of the NWSL Challenge Cup and 2020 Fall Series that you can buy. Uh, Based in Montreal, we talked about how he creates his drawings, how he got into following the NWSL. And of course, between the two chats is a Jen Splainer segment about she believes roster size and jersey numbers. And of course, if you haven't heard already, you need to know that my Keeper Notes NWSL Almanac, the latest one, is now ready to purchase. The 2020 edition covers every season of the league from 2013 to 2020. Player registry, coach registry, stats, records, details, photos, all kinds of amazing stuff. You can order it now on KeeperNotes.com in print or PDF or both. And of course, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at KeeperNotes and or at Mixzone, and there's always two X's in Mixzone. All right, Jen Cooper here with Bo Dur from many different soccer outlets, Guardian, Soccer America, what have you. Bo, you and I always end up talking kind of national teams, soccer hall of fame, history kind of stuff, because you've been covering covering soccer and women's soccer for a long time not to make you feel too old but uh i was going to say you're you're basically saying that i'm that i'm old right well i'm i'm trying to trying to say in addition to being old you've been covering soccer (laughs) like longer than me and dan putting it that way (laughs) okay maybe maybe hey Hey, you're not 25 you know I know, I know, I know, but I can still say, you know, know, you've probably been professionally writing much, much longer than I have. So, but yeah, no, you're not that old. Anyway, uh, the reason I have you on today is talk about uh, the National Soccer Hall of Fame, um, because they changed uh, their their system this year. And I figured you were the best person to kind of walk us through that change. And of course, there's still some things that don't make sense. I mean, to me, the ridiculously small number of people that can actually be inducted each year, um, especially when, you know, we have so many excellent women players over the years 
And then you don't just have to be American to be in it, right? As long as you played in an American league, you're eligible, you know, over a certain number of years. So in addition mm-hmm. to the men's national team, you've got all of these, you know, veterans of, of, of MLS. So, so walk us through it. I mean, where, where are we right now with national soccer hall of fame, which, which has been in its new digs now for about two years. Uh, yeah. And they're still, um, underwater. I mean, not, not financially, and at least not as far as I know, but in terms of the number of people who deserve to be in, uh, who are not. And, uh, to give the, the, the brief, brief history, um, for many years, the hall just kind of operated on its own. Um, not many people knew. I'm sure someone knows how they were inducting people, um, but it tended to be, um, it wasn't a nomination process. It was particularly public. And so, and also, you know, soccer history kind of had these stops and starts in the U.S. And, right. Um, so there were, there were several people who got in from the American Soccer League of the 20s and early 30s, uh, which at the time was a fairly significant soccer league, I mean, not just in the U.S., but internationally. And so a lot of those guys are in, especially if they were on the 1930 World Cup team that finished third, albeit out of 13 teams. Um, but mm-hmm. still, you know, really good accomplishment. No one's going to complain that they were recognized. No one's going to complain that there were a handful of people recognized before that. Um, then you got to the 40s and you, know, you got to the period in a fallow period in U.S. soccer history. And from those periods, um, I think there was one guy who in his in his biography, it talks about how he also was in a production of Tristan Isolde. Uh, and I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right. Uh, but, you know, as for a stage career, and as someone once put it to me, it was, you know, a bunch of people nominating, uh, nominating state ref assessors and things like that. Um, I think that's an extreme example. Yeah, I think that's an extreme example. But you go back and look through, and um, if you were on a World Cup team um, that won a game, um, congratulations, you're in the hall, basically. And if you played in the NASL and had any sort of name for yourself, congratulations, you're in the hall. I mean, it's not just Pele. Um, it's a fair number of people uh, from the NASL days. Now, in, in I want to say 2004, uh, they changed it and said, okay, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to have um, – we're going to send it out to people – send out ballots to people who, make, who meet certain criteria – and it's all living Hall of Famers and possibly some dead ones. And uh, team executives who've been executives for at least three years or some, somewhere in that neighborhood. And select media members. And we never really knew ha- uh, how those selections worked. And um, in fact, the one that I can toss out that didn't make a lot of sense that came up uh, last year, uh, the athletic as a full-time women's soccer writer in Meg Linehan, uh, guess who did not have a vote as of last year? Um, right. Meg Linehan. And there were, there were several other people who, um, if you asked them, they would readily admit, why do I have a vote? Especially considering, why do I have a vote and Meg Linehan doesn't? Now, those of us who voted, uh, there, were, there were a handful of us who were quite vocal in saying, wait a minute, 
the bar's being set way too high. And so, you know, you don't necessarily want to have it to where any, anyone can nominate their buddy, the ref assessor, and that person gets in. Um, or if you, you know, sat on the bench at a World Cup, you get in. Um, but, you know, let's say, let's say you're a defender who was among the best defenders in the world for several years and uh, have a couple of Olympic medals and World Cup medals and got capped 200 times. And you're not in the Hall of Fame. Kate Markgraf. That's who I'm talking about. <laughs> that would be Kate Markgraf. Yeah. Right. Uh, who was inexplicably uh, – and Kate Markgraf went all the way through um, several years on the players' ballot and should say there are three uh, groups. There are the players uh, who are people who meet a certain criteria and th- – that's actually a fairly low bar just to be to be nominated. Um, like, you, you're one, not eligible until you've been retired for five years, and then then I believe it's three. Okay, the, and then yeah. you're on the ballot, um, but you mm-hmm. have to get what at least what was it? Percentage you had to, to be to, to re-up, to, and that yeah. I'm not sure if that changed that much. Um, I do know that one person I voted for uh, did not continue this season. That was Kelly Smith. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, I had a feeling that was going to be a rough go, um, but I figured, you know, people forget what an incredible player Kelly Smith really was. Right. And, right. WSA and yeah, WPS. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even in between, she played for the New Jersey Wildcats. Yeah. W League. So, um, you know, stayed in the U.S. to do that and, all, and played college here. So, so the, the big the, the big um, problem with the system, I mean, to, to kind of simplify it, is just that um, once you got to the part where the eligibility was appropriate, people still weren't being voted in based partly because of who's right. voting and that there was a limit to the number of people that could be inducted each year and that the the voting threshold was pretty high that you had to get X percentage to be considered. So wait, what did it take? Right. Like, like five tries for, for Milbrit to get, uh, you know, into the hall and you are, you're on that player ballot for five years. And then, then if you don't get voted in, they move you to the veterans ballot. Is that it? I think it's more than five. Um, I should have all this in front of me. Um, and of course it did, some of these things did change a little bit. You know, th- those would be the minor changes uh, in uh-huh. the process. But yeah, if you do not get voted in from the players' ballot after five to seven years, I don't remember exactly what now. Uh, but then you move to what they call the veterans' ballot, um, and then there's a separate category for builders. And so that's how Don Garber's in. Um, that's where you talk about people like. Um, uh, Peter Wilt was up for consideration this year, but I, he was not one of the finalists. Um, but, you know, people like that and, and some referees. I mean, one referee is on there is Effie Baharmist, um, just, you know, a great World Cup referee, did the first MLS game. And they, they'll do some interesting rotation with the builders, like one year only referees are eligible and things like that, so that they'll try to have a greater diversity of um, builders. But that's not really what you and I are concerned about here. What we're concerned right. about here is the number of players who then get passed to the veterans. And when they started this new system, um, it was if you had you had to get over seventy five percent to get in. 
Um, if a third person got over 75%, then that per, um, they, they could take three people in a given year plus one veteran. Mm-hmm. Um, then it got to where people were just not getting voted in. They had like, like a class of one. Um, so they lowered the threshold to two thirds. There was one year in which no one got two thirds. They, they handed out, um, actually may have been 75% still at that time, but they said, okay, here are the top five vote getters. Um, we're going to hand out ballots again and, and have you all vote to try to get one of these people in. Um, cause it was a, it wasn't just that the percentage was high. I mean, lowering down to 50, you know, two thirds vote, that's pretty low compared to other halls of, halls of fame. Um, but someone out there was not voting for people. And, you know, we should say from the outset here, this is, it's not simply a case of women being snubbed. Um, Ernie Stewart, who, you know, scored what stood up as the winning goal uh, when the U.S. beat Columbia in the 94 World Cup, and was a hero of many, many World Cup qualifiers yes. for the U.S. men. Yes. Um, it took him a very long time to get in. Thomas Dooley was a fantastic player in the 94 World Cup, went on to captain the U.S. in the 98 World Cup, which we'd all rather forget, but, you know, that's it's a symbol of, you know, how His leadership. well he was. Yeah, took him a long time to get in. So it's not... And when you say people aren't, aren't, aren't voting... So, so when you get that ballot, um, can you vote for as mm-hmm. many people as you like, or, or is there a max uh, ten. ten? So you can vote for um, ten and, and, max. Right, and this is the pre twenty twenty one balloting process from like two thousand four right. to twenty twenty. Right. Um, I voted all of those years, and yet yeah, you could vote for up to ten, and I typically was voting for ten, um, in part just to be, because I thought. A lot of people were being forgotten, and every year, every year there were at least five that I thought deserved to be in. And so, what's happened is that all these people get tossed into the veterans pool um, because they don't get inducted, and then you finally get, say, Shannon McMillan gets inducted by the veterans committee. Um, but the Veterans Committee now, and they can, they still, this has not changed, they can still only take one person from the veterans panel. Um, and now they have to deal with Kate Markgraf, who we mentioned, uh, a few other women's players. And what the Hall has not managed to do yet is induct a foreign player who has played in the U.S. Pro League, which means no Marco Echeverri, uh, no Jaime Moreno. No Carlos Valderrama. Wow. Most people, let alone no Kelly Smith. Right. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens um, when Marta is finally on the ballot. Um, right. She obviously hasn't retired yet, so it's not an issue. But, um, yeah, they have just not managed to get people in. So last year, um, after um, – it became it hit a crisis point because you know for a lot time for a long time this was sort of a, an argument among the niche of the niche you know people like me you know with uh, my grand total of you know eight thousand Twitter followers most of whom are probably you know Russian bots at this point um, <laughs> so you know people like me complaining about it and a few others um, but last year 
it got a, it, it couldn't fly under the radar anymore because a certain somebody got left out. So a certain goalkeeper um, <laughs> with a colorful past, but unlike say Barry Bonds or you know Mark McGuire, uh, never actually um, cheated. And right. unlike say Kurt Schilling. Well, let's just not go there with Kurt Schilling. <laughs> right. But bottom line, so no. obviously Hope was eligible. She just didn't get enough yep. votes. Yeah. yeah. And also Steve Trundolo. Um, You know, again, this is not just a, a women's thing. This is a men's thing, too. And, and of course, it, it gets a little bit tricky with the men because you have some men's players who spent their entire careers in Europe. Right. And now Claudio Reyna was famous enough that he got in anyway. Um, but I think you'd have a pretty good argument that Steve Ferrandolo had a better national team career than Claudio Reyna did. Um, right. But, it's it's always know, that thing, um, like the mystique of the name, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I bet there's a yeah. lot of voters where it's like, oh, I've heard that name a lot, you know, without right. necessarily looking at, you know, what the actual performance was. And, and I think it's, it's, it's same for kind of, any voting, whether it's Academy Award voting or even our NWSL, uh, you know, player of the week thing. Right. And mm-hmm. and I think things are always weighted a little bit more towards attackers. Right. Because because you, you've got some, of course, so, some easy numbers, you know, to follow. But so what what are the changes that that went into effect for this year? Well, for one thing, it's transparency. Um, in the sense that we never found out who was turning in blank ballots or only voting for one person or, uh, you know, I'm voting for Josh Wolf and John O'Brien and nobody else. Um, uh-huh. We never found out who these people were because there were a handful of us who, you know, made our ballots public and then would challenge people once the results were elected, you know, announced every year say, okay, if you're not voting for Kate Markgraf, you know, say why. You know, I dare who you. Who are you voting for instead? Or are you just not voting? Who are you voting for instead? Right. And, you know, um, there was one case where uh, someone made their ballot, made a ballot public, and I actually responded to that person and said, um, why did you think so-and-so shouldn't have been on? And this person went, Oh, I forgot about that person. No, that's how things were going. So what <laughs> they've done, and I, I think this is, I think this is a pretty solid change, is that it's not just a vote now, an opaque vote. Um, it is now groups of people who will narrow down the people who qualified based on the objective criteria. And the objective criteria are, you know, a certain number of caps um, or uh, a certain name number of years in league, league play with, or yeah. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, name to all NWSL or all WPS or all WSA or, you know, MLS best 11. So that's how you get, you know, the Echeverries and the Valderamas and the Kelly Smith. And what's nice uh, about that is that that's purely objective. You don't be that nominated. Be, yeah. Be nominated doesn't mean well you, you know so and so liked you or so and so didn't like you it was just purely on number of appearances number of caps number of nominations to best 11 kind of stuff 
Yeah, I mean, there you know there were conspiracy-minded people who were saying stuff along the lines of, "Oh, Kate Markgraf just got hired at U.S. Soccer, and now she's on the ballot." But okay, first of all, she's been on the ballot. Second of all, she has two hundred caps. <laughs> you know, what sort of criteria are you going to have that would exclude her from the list of like fifty people who met that criteria who were still on the ballot? Who, um, right, and, right, right. But what they're doing now is they have a small committee that narrows it down to a certain number of finalists, and it's still a fairly big group. Um, right. I don't even someone like me who tended to vote for ten people a year. When I saw the finalists for the players ballot, I didn't see anyone who'd been left out who would I would think would make the hall. Um, you know, there were. You know, some people are more likely than others, and maybe you could say, oh, number 15 you know, on my list here was left out, and number 14 made the finalist. That's irrelevant. I mean, I don't right. think anyone with a serious chance of – I don't think anyone with a serious chance of being considered for the Hall was left out. Um, and then it goes to a larger group of voters, but there, it won't just be a ballot. There will be discussion of this. Um, and, of course, I say – there will be, and uh, because this is stuff I've heard from others, because um, I was not given a ballot this year. Um, I'm, they, they say they're going to rotate, so maybe I'll be on a future year. I thought, it was, I thought it was very strange that after uh, being not just voting all these years, but being fairly outspoken about it, that I was not selected this year, but maybe in future years. Um, and, you know, they selected groups of people – um, Hall of Famers. Yeah, it, this is all public on the on the Hall of Fame website. You can see who was on each of the panels, and they got some. I thought they got some good people. They got some people who are historians. Um, yeah. In the Society of American Soccer History. They got some people like that on some of the committees. Uh, people who are player slash commentator. I forget which committee she's on, but Jordan Angeli is on one of the committees. Um, nice. Yeah. You know, great choice. Yeah. Great choice. Yeah. Um, so, you know, most, uh, mostly good people on these committees, and there will be some discussion so that you can't forget that, say, Kate Markgraf is eligible for the Hall of Fame. Well, she's on the Veterans Committee now. What they have done that I wish they would have done a better job on, and, of course, I had been writing these things for ages, and I've already written something in response to what they have now, the the induction class is still still way too small. Yeah. And it's a little bit confusing, so bear with me here. Um, <laughs> the typical class would have one builder, one veteran uh you know, ballot inductee, and two players, people from the player's pool. Now if there's only if the builder the builders panel and the veterans panel can each say yeah, we're not going to induct anyone this year. And then you can get a third player. That's um, so restrictive. That is so restrictive. And you look at it and say, um, the Pro Football Hall of Fame just announced its, um, its induction class. They announced it, you know, coinciding with the Super Bowl. And I get, you know, words on my phone about certain things. And it's like, oh, so-and-so is going to the hall. Boop. So-and-so is going to the hall. Boop. So-and-so. I mean, uh, you know, the Pro Football Hall of Fame will have maybe around seven players every year. The Pro Football Hall of Fame covers how many leagues? 
How many lead, How many sports leagues does the Pro Football Hall of Fame cover? One. From 1970 <laughs> onward. Right. One. 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 Um, the National Soccer Hall of Fame in the United States covers the U.S. men's national team, U.S. women's national team, MLS, previously in ASL, NWSL, previously WPS, previously WSA, and new this year and overdue, they've added what they're calling extended national teams, which is Paralympians, beach soccer, and futsal. Now, the beach wow. soccer and futsal people have, have no prayer of getting in anytime soon because those are, you know, let's be blunt, they're people who generally didn't make it um, at a higher level in the outdoor game. Like the nominees that I've seen are John Ball. Ex- ex- except, um, except, except Jim Gabera for futsal because he was also a regular um, national teamer. He was, yeah. I mean, yeah, anyway. there are a couple of people who crossed over, but you know, but but no, you'd be right. they've got off, yeah. they've got a really slim chance yeah. of making it anytime soon. Right. I mean, Jamar Beasley. Um, yeah. You know, is Jamar Beasley a Hall of Famer? No. Now Paralympians, sure. And you look at some of the accomplishments they have, and uh, you would think these are people who really should get into the Hall of Fame. Unfortunately, they're competing with Steve Chirondolo. Hope Solo, Kate and Markraff. now Christy Rampone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Kate Markraff's on the veterans. Right. Kate Markraff has gone sunset, they say, into the veterans committee where she's competing with, you know, Jaime Moreno and Marco Echeverri and Carlos Valderrama and stuff. I, I think Markraff will probably get the veterans vote this year. Um, they've been pretty good about, you know, taking at least one. And also, well, of course, I mean, we say that. There's no precedent anymore because everything is so different this year. But right. yeah, it is still way too small of a hall because you figure, yeah, yeah, Pro Football Hall of Fame, one league. And look at how many things the Soccer Hall of Fame uh, covers. Baseball Hall of Fame, you know, how many leagues does the Baseball Hall of Fame cover? You know, they actually did go back, and this leads to what I suggested in Soccer America, they did go back to do like a retro retroactive, hey, let's induct a whole bunch of people from the Negro Leagues. Yeah. Which, again, overdue. Um, it was great, great that they did it. Um, and I believe you could, the Veterans Committee could still go back and pick someone else. Oh, we forgot so and so from the Homestead Grays. He really should be in. So it sounds um, like they're they're the they're at the beginning of a new kind of wave of of change, right? And so you're starting to see some changes, but hopefully more will be coming in. Yeah, and and so what I've suggested is that um, look, we're behind. We need to get more people in. And periodic, the soccer hall of fame has actually done that once already. Um, a few years ago they had a panel of historians sit down and say, okay, from pre-NASL days, who has not gotten in who we've just overlooked? In part because, you know, the records for those periods of time were spotty. You know, there are some people who've done great historical work, like Roger Alway, uh, who have gone back through and, you know, reconstructed the history, you know, which have been lost to the sands of time. You know, it's like the first, few seasons of Doctor Who where the BBC taped over, you know, some of the episodes. So you don't have all of Patrick Troughton's episodes. Um, wow. You know, it's like that. But at least they could go back and restore and restore the history 
And so they did a retrospective and said, okay, we're going to bring these people in. And if you go back and look at that year and look at their resumes, yeah, these were fantastic people that they got. Um, so my argument is it's time to do that again. And it's time to do that in a couple of, uh, for a couple of specific groups. One is Paralympians. You know, you want to bring in Paralympians, you know, the U.S. has done very well in it. There are some complications. The seven-a-side version uh, of Paralympic soccer is no longer in the Paralympics right now. That might change. Anyway, that's, that's a whole other thing. But uh, the U.S. has had a pretty good seven-a-side Paralympic soccer team. And seven-a-side is for traumatic brain injury or cerebral palsy mm-hmm. uh, or something along those lines. Um, the chair of the Athletes Council, uh, Chris Arendt, is a, is a former Paralympian. In fact, they're, they've actually been very well represented on the Athletes Council. Um, so, but if you're going to bring in the Paralympians and have them compete with Torundolo and Solo and Rantone, they don't have a chance. So why not go back and say, okay, we're going to go back and say what Paralympians should be in. Bring a whole class in at once. And I think you should do that with uh, players from MLS and the NWSL and WPS and say, okay, well, we're going to get Moreno and Echeverry and Kelly Smith. I would vote for Kelly Smith. Um, get that group in and then double the class size. And seriously, we're going to keep not bringing in two players a year. We're, we're just going to keep creating a bottleneck yeah. that's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger because this makes sense for what we can call the the dark periods of soccer in, in U.S. where there was only one league, if a league at all, right? Um, and right. very sporadic national team play. But you've got very active national teams, very active leagues, multiple leagues. Like, yeah, like we, we got to get caught up, right? And we're going to start seeing a lot of NWSL retirements you know, soon of players who have played every year of the league, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I don't want her to retire anytime soon, but when Christine Nairn retires, you know, it's, it's like, she still leads the league in, in all time appearances. Right. And like, that's, you know, that's, that's something to be considered. Right. And that's someone who, yeah. you know, she only has two national team caps from back when she was 18, but Hey, that's, that's a huge huge accomplishment to, to lead that. And as it stands now, she has no chance. Right. Um, and some other people, you know, one name that pops into, into my head every now and then is um, Heather Mitz. Yes. Um, suffered some injury problems, the same as Allie Wagner. Allie Wagner is never going to get in. Um, Heather Mitz, um, to give you an idea of how valuable she was, you know, I went back not long ago and rewatched uh, a game that I had the privilege of covering, which is the 2008 Olympic final, where I went into the press tribune, sat next to Christine Brennan, my colleague at USA Today at the time, and said, Christine, there's no way the U.S. is going to win this game. <laughs> I was wrong. And one of the reasons I was wrong is that, well, first of all, Hope Solo, who uh, you may have heard didn't play against Brazil the year before, the Women's World Cup that might have. She stood news. on her head in this game against Brazil and had she the did. game of a career. She did, but you know who else did? Was Heather Mitz. Yeah, and I had to go back and rewatch the game to truly appreciate it. Um, yeah, and then, like so, I yeah, said before, she, you're not always going to get 
you know, a defender who's mm-hmm. not going to be on the score sheet at the end of the day, you know, isn't going to always right. get that attention. But she was part of three Olympic teams, also the 2011 mm-hmm. Women's World Cup that she didn't take the field, you know, and, you know, played in WSA, WPS, almost played in, in NWSL, but said, no, okay, I'm ready to go have a kid and, and retire and, and, and step away. But yeah, yeah. That, that's a great example. Right. And someone who, again, I mean, if Kate Marcraft isn't getting in, what chance does Heather Metz have? Um, right. And, you know, to me, I don't see any problem with, with extending it. Um, you know, I would say this. It doesn't devalue the accomplishments of Pele if Jaime Moreno gets in the hall. Right. It doesn't devalue the accomplishments of the guy who was in Tristan and he sold. Right. Um, if Steve Sarundolo gets in. <laughs> right. Um, it doesn't devalue actually, Mia Hamm if, if Heather Mitts and Christine Neer get in. Yeah. I actually had someone contact me um, after the piece of wrote for Soccer America and to, to say, um, you know, there were all these people who uh, pioneered women's soccer before the 1991 World Cup. There was a team that existed for about six years. These are the people who built it from scratch. And so right. they're the equivalent of, say, a men's player in 1912. Um, right. Then. And do I begrudge that player from 1912? Absolutely not. Uh, it's good that the Hall of Fame reaches back that far. The Hall of Fame should reach back to 1985 for women's soccer. So exactly. there are tons of people who are deserving. And also the other, the other idea I tossed out was the idea of bringing in a whole team. Now, in the past, what they've done in the past is, um, oh, you were on the field when in 1950 when the U.S. beat England one nothing in the World Cup. Welcome to the Hall. Um, and on an individual level, a lot of those players surely deserved it. Um, I would say, let's bring in the entire 1999, you know, bring in the 1999 Women's World Cup team as a team, and you'd bring in, of course several women's soccer teams because you really want to bring in every Olympic champion, every world cup champion. Um, And I would say bring in, you know, 1998 DC United, you know, they won the inter-American cup, which is not contested anymore, but they won CONCACAF, Vasco da Gama. They were a fantastic team. That's a team. There are some, uh, the basketball hall of fame does that. They bring in entire teams. Um, didn't so, they, am I misremembering, didn't they bring in the 91ers at one point? Or was that just an exception? The Soccer Hall of Fame? No. Um, okay. Maybe I'm thinking something uh, else. Right. A handful of people, um, like, you know, Michelle Akers is in, of course. Of Mia Hansen, Julie Saudi's in. Um, I mean, the, the big, big names are all in. Um, again, part of the problem is the defender. I mean, I'm, it took Joy Fawcett a little bit of time. She finally right. did it. Um, right. Well, and also having a larger so, group, right? Like it wasn't like one or two stars. It was like a large pack of, of women who had been on the team for a long time, amassed a lot of caps, amassed a lot of accolades. And I think, I think Joy started every single, I think she played every single minute of every single Olympic tournament she was in, which was three including one when she was pregnant. Yeah. So, yeah. In, in yeah, same. it was stiff. Yeah, it's difficult for defenders. Now, of course, you also get a little bit of an advantage if you stay in the game. I mean, like, uh, you know, 
Joy Fawcett, I don't think, went on to any serious coaching or anything like that. Carla Overbeck has been an assistant coach at my alma mater, Duke, for eons. I mean, even you know, 30 for years different head coaches now. Yeah. Yeah. And so she stayed fairly active in the game. So it was perhaps a little bit easier uh, for her to um, be around. Now, of course, Kate Markgraf, even before she was named to her position as um director technique of whatever i don't know I mean, it's they kept adding positions she's in charge of the women's national team program now. yeah uh, and before that she was on ever if you go back and look through annual general meeting books of u.s soccer which i'm probably the only person who does that because i'm a nerd um but she has she served on so many different committees within u.s soccer and she was a commentator and she stayed in the game and she still didn't get into the hall of fame Unless, you know, hopefully the veterans will get her in this year. Um, so we're, we're basically running the point into the ground now that they have not let <laughs> in enough people. <laughs> um, and there's been some talk that, you know, um, there are people who get frustrated and say, well, MLS should just start its own Hall of Fame. It's not going to happen because, you know, the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame was built into the An MLS stadium in Frisco, stadium. Texas, yeah. right, where FC Dallas plays. And, well, and we know, don't want to dilute it like that, right? We we don't want to end up having, well, right. here's an NWSL Hall of Fame, and here's, you know, the U.S. Yeah. Women's National you Team Hall of Fame. It's, it's like, soccer hall. yeah. Right. You want Mia Hamm to be in there alongside that guy from 1912, or yeah. alongside Brian McBride. Um, you know, and you Kelly Smith, be... and Brian Ching, and, yeah, all these random, yeah. 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 Right. It's that, exactly all these people. You you want them to be in there together. You know, I would I would be perfectly happy to see Hope Solo and Steve Trundle go in. And you know, Hope, I it's worth saying, you know, I I have been the target of her ire on more than one occasion. <laughs> yeah. Um I voted for her. Of course I did. Yeah. Um because, I mean you you have yeah, to separate sometimes the personality from the performance and you know, right. she's had not just one, but several incredible performances on the world stage. Yeah. Um, she was, it, it was kind of funny is that, you know, she was not ever always the best, um, the best at club level, but in a big game, did anyone ever do better than she did? I mean, exactly. Not that I've seen, I, you know, I, Brian Scurry, I would put on the same. And it took Scurry a long time. And she wasn't the first ballot uh, one. Right. And it's just, you look at that and go, what do you need to do? I um, just think that just speaks to um, how deep our talent pool is. But but let's let's wrap it up with what happens now mm-hmm. this spring. Um, when, when do people vote and when are the winners announced and inducted? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm well, I think there's committees. a right, but but I mean, like, I think haven't they already announced what? It's something in May is the actual induction. Yeah, ceremony. in May they're supposed to have an induction, right? And it's also supposed to be the you know postponed from last year. You know, Carl Spokenegger gets in, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the one thing that I I know for sure about that is that Willie Nelson will be playing. Um, yeah, which is. Something that yeah, something that the previous Hall of Fame could not, and you know, um, to, to show you how things have grown, uh, the the Society for American Soccer History has always had a meeting time at the annual coaches convention. You know, formerly right. NSBAA, now United Soccer right. Coaches, and it used to be I would stumble in and there'd be 
me and Roger Alloway, uh, this, the great historian, and then Jack Huckle, who was you know, essentially running the Hall of Fame in Oneonta, New York, until it was shut down several years ago. And then all the memorabilia was shipped to, believe it or not, Hillsborough, North Carolina, where it was <laughs> sitting in warehouses. Um, it had to do with the fact that Eurosport, you know, you know soccer.com, the retailer, advertised uh, uh, there. They, they, and, they said, uh, so, we'll store it. <laughs> yeah, so basically you, have all, you, you had all the memorabilia of a Hall of Fame sitting in Hillsborough, North Carolina. I believe a lot of it's still there. And so you'd have three or four people in there talking about, well, it'd be nice if they could get the Hall of Fame up and running again. And, and you know, it was up and running in the virtual sense. And, you know, in the sense that there was an induction class each year. And so you'd have, you know, okay, Eric Winalda's in this year. Julie Foudy's in this year. Ernie Stewart finally got in. So they were in the Hall of Fame, even though there wasn't a physical one. And then, you know, a couple years ago, they they said, okay, we're going to put it in the the stadium in Frisco, Texas. Um, and and that's great. It's great that there's it, a physical it, presence again. It's a, be- um, it's a it's, beautiful space. Um, it's mm-hmm. amazing. There's interactive experiences with it. And one of the things I loved when I visited uh, 2018, during the 2018 CONCACAF tournament up there, they have a whole wall of jerseys. And the jerseys change out. Basically, what they represent is the current champion in every possible U.S. league division. So they have, you know, men and women's NCAA, all three divisions, junior college, NAIA, MLS, NWSL, USL, PDL, you know, like, like it was just, it was really cool to see, right. That it's just like comprehensive. Um, Yeah. So that I would, I would highly recommend a visit there when visiting there (laughs) is is appropriate. Yeah. And go see Willie Nelson. Um, And yeah, so it's fantastic. I mean, that's stuff that, you know, they were not able to do in Oneonta. I mean, where, you know, there's a bunch of people who worked really, really hard to, I mean, there's just, you know, there, there are so many people in soccer who've gone unappreciated, who really worked yes. so hard to keep, I mean, it's why the most recent book I wrote was on 2012 in women's soccer, which was the year that there was no full-fledged professional league. And you have these people who said, well, we're not going to let it die. And it kept players like McCall Zerboni playing. Right. Um, she would not be playing today like if right. she didn't have that 2012 season to, to carry her through to the start of NWSL. Yeah, that's exactly what she told me. So, um, so yeah, it, it's good, which is why it's good that the Hall of Fame has a builders category. And, you know, we make fun of it because it's, you know, oh, so-and-so was a state ref assessor and somebody of his voted him <laughs> in. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's good that you rec- that to recognize people. And, you know, the, the builders category, you could take many more people than you do. I mean, is Peter Wilt ever going to make it? Yeah, probably not. Does he deserve it? I, and, I I, I know, so. and I know women soccer fans, current ones might not know who he is, but he was a big part of Chicago Red Stars in, in WPS mm-hmm. in terms of marketing, among many other things. But, well, Bo, yeah. thank you so much for, for taking the time to walk us through uh the very convoluted <laughs> soccer hall of fame <laughs> history and, and some of your suggestions and and I, I mean i'm excited that they're changing and and hopefully hopefully we'll continue to see some changes and hopefully some some more people will you know the maximum number of people will get voted in at least this year i uh, oh, certainly hope so and 
It's always nice to come on your show and complain like the grumpy old man that I am. All right, time for a little Jen's planning. This week's topic is she believes rosters and more specifically the jersey numbers for those rosters. For she believes each team is allowed to have 23 players and that means three goalkeepers, just like the World Cup rosters. USA and Brazil's final rosters have been named. Canada and Argentina, they've named preliminary rosters, so they still need to narrow theirs down to a final 23. And note that in She Believes, much like the World Cup, only jersey numbers 1 through 23 can be used. So you may see some USA players in different jersey numbers than they wore in the games against Colombia last month. For instance, Katarina Macario, she made her international debut in jersey number 29, but she can't wear that number in She Believes. And seniority comes into play when you talk about assigning USA numbers to players that, you know, haven't owned a number already you know some of those assignments are obvious right like as long as Alex Morgan's on the roster she's wearing number 13 Nair will be number one as long as she's on the roster Haran number nine Rapino number 15 etc but for the eight players on the USA she believes roster who are not part of the 2019 women's world cup team they will get the all of the unused numbers between one and 23 and they will probably get to choose which of those they want, like Tobin Heath's number 17, Ali Krieger's number 11, based on number of caps, i.e. seniority. So those eight players, Casey Kruger, formerly short, who has replaced Alana Cook on the roster, she has the most caps, followed by Lynn Williams, and then Christy Mewis. So my guess would be that Casey Kruger will get to pick number six. That's one of the available players. We've often seen her play in number six. Be interesting to see what numbers Lynn Williams and Christy Mewis end up with. And be sure to check keepernotes.com next week for She Believes, a She Believes Cup standings worksheet and other fun content related to She Believes. All right, Jen Cooper here with another great Woso friend from Twitter that uh, we've discovered each other, I guess, um, Dariush, based in Montreal. Dariush, um, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi, Jen. Thanks for having me. So tell me about your journey to connecting to the NWSL. I think I think it's an interesting journey that you're an illustrator slash cartoonist and now you've got this uh, a book of NWSL moments, best moments of 2020. But how do you get from point A to point B? <laughs> yeah, good question. So um, let's start like this: that as an illustrator and cartoonist for 15 years, um, two years ago I started focusing on sport. I'm a big fan of soccer, and it was a good moment to return to my childhood. Um, dreams. So I started working on CPL, Canadian Premier League, before NWSS 2020. So uh, I started sketching all goals, all saves, and I put it on uh, Twitter and my Instagram. So I saw that fan and people really liked them. And CPL contacted me and asked me to have a collaboration to 
um, publish that book. So that book, book uh, two weeks ago has been published, and it's a really cool book with all the sketches. So I started working on NWSL 2020 moment with a starting fall series. So every day after finishing each match, uh, I just looking at the, I was looking to the videos. I just looking at the goals, best moments. I try to sketch them and uh, put them uh, on my platform on social media. And again, I saw that, oh, really, people like it. And I, for myself, it was really surprising because I never considered like this on uh, women's soccer. And it was a big experience for me because not only I drawing the sketches, I was enjoying watching the uh, playing, watching the, the game. And uh, I found out it was really nice. Uh, and that way it was very, I think because of the pandemic situation, it was a very alive league. Most of the league was closed, but this league continue, was continuing their matches such alive and such beautiful. So it was a really good experience for me working on fall series. After finishing fall series, I decided to go back and reviewing the Challenge Cup. Nice. And so I review all videos and so I try to sketch all goals and best moments on that series too. So at the end, I finished all of them and the result was a beautiful book with all the sketches in WSL 2020 moments challenge cup and fall series that that is such a wonderful way to capture you know both of those i guess we'll call both of them tournaments um you know where where it's like it's something tangible that you can you know have in your home and and look at right like whether you're a fan whether you're a player um something a, a little less fleeting than a video where i think oh, yeah. we're also we're also used to streaming that you're like oh the video will always be there it's like well will it <laughs> you know and it's a, and it's a little more personal than you know just a, a straight photo you know, of one of those moments. Um, yes, yes, you're right. Because normally when you'd illustrator, uh, for me, it's a difference between illustration and sketching a movement with a photo. Because I try to show movement when I show a goal or best. Yes. Uh, because I really like to show, okay, the ball is from this way. This player pass in that player. This player goes this way. And if someone has already saw or watched this goal, when she or he take a look at this sketch, immediately they can imagine that moment. And most of the people tell me like this. And uh, it was interesting because I have a very good, very good experience to uh, most of the NWSL players uh, send me a message to Twitter or Instagram and they were very happy. They share my work in their pages and it makes me really happy and gave me really mo- so much motivation to continue this thing. Well, and I think um, it's just another indication of how um, the demand for women's soccer items, you know, not just jerseys, but everything around the game is still so underestimated uh, by merchandisers. And I think in sometimes by the the league and teams themselves. Um, But, you know, in the era of social media that 
actually there's a way to get stuff out there in a way that say there wouldn't have been 15, 20 years ago. I mean, much like you, um, you know, putting together my NWSL almanac for the first time, um, now it was five, five years ago, you know, it's like, that's yeah. me doing it by myself. And this is just the third time that I've actually printed it. Right. But it, it does give you at the same time, a lot of freedom yeah, to you're right. Control how it looks and and sell it where you want to sell it and and do it the way you want to do it on on your own deadline. Um, you know, so I I want to ask you as you're you know when you were going back and looking at those challenge cup videos to decide you know how how to capture each goal. Like, are you watching the videos over and over and over, <laughs> or does it just take you a, a couple of viewings and then you're like, oh, that's yeah. a moment. It is a good question, actually. Uh, and because of this, I think uh, this job or this kind of illustration is just for someone who loves watching soccer because you <laughs> need to watch more and more and you don't. For me, as a big fan of soccer, I won't be uh, tired or exhausted to watch more and more soccer. For me, it's just a film. It's watching a movie. And uh, for some moments, yes, it's really hard. For example, especially I'm going to just mention, for example, a corner. When someone, uh, when a, uh, a goal happened because of a corner, it's really hard because normally there are too many players in the uh, area and you, it is really hard to you realize that, okay, this person hit the ball with the head or which kind of, it it's really depends on the goal. Sometimes it is really easy. Some player comes it's alone and it's come to the goalkeeper and just shoot and strike and it's it's goal but sometimes there are, there are too many pass there are too many player they are um, back and go uh, hey to, to ball is going down going up and it's really hard let's say that sometimes i see four or five times a moment sometimes just one time is okay for me and it is <laughs> I, sometimes I just look at my first sketch that, for example, two years ago I draw, and when I after that maybe I draw more than three hundred sketch for three hundred moments, and I can't recognize that how I improved in this uh, in this process, and I can see that wow, my first sketch was not really good, and now I'm better. <laughs> And I, you can see you are improving and you can see, you can catch the moment. And it is really fantastic. Uh, let's say that uh, I'm a full-time graphic um, designer and I work as a company. And this kind of job is my in my fun time, in my spare time. And when I came home, when I come home, I started to do something like this. I wish, this is my wish, that one day it would be, will be my only job and i just need to stay and i just drawing something like this for me it's a fun it is not just doing something i really enjoying doing this well i i, I totally feel you because i mean for for years i was coming home from my regular job doing yeah. stats <laughs> and compiling yeah. stats and you know it's not completely full-time yet but it's pretty close so that i don't mm-hmm. have a a full-time job like like I used to but it's like yeah you you, you know if, if you put um you know your passion behind it um, yes. and, and especially you know it seems like you're filling a niche that you know hasn't been filled um you know and and bringing it it, it seems like it's a nice merge of you know a passion for soccer and you know and your skill set 
Well, so tell me what what media do you prefer to work with? Like, is it pens, watercolor, a mix, um, pencils? So I, it's some kind of mix. So first, I just sketch with pencil. It's a let's say it's a, a traditional thing, a pen and a paper. And after that, I scan it and I go to computer and uh, I try to uh, draw that sketch, uh, helping watching video by uh, drawing in computer in my Adobe Illustrator thing. So at the end, uh, it is some kind of digital sketch, let's say. I have my mm-hmm. digital pen and I try to, because of the, when you want to show this kind of stuff on the screen or on the uh, social media, it's better than you work uh, on, let's say, my digital pen. It is exactly like my traditional pen, what I just drawing in my screen, let's say. <laughs> so uh, it is some kind of digital sketching. Um, so it's um, I can say that it's mixed. It is traditional. And after that, the final result, the final touch, it would be a digital thing. And so if someone wanted to buy your book, um, how do they buy that that book of, of the goal moments of Fall Series um, and Challenge Cup? Uh, actually, as I told you, I did it as a self-publishing, self-published book in lulu.com, L-U-L-U.com. And if people, they want to have this book, if they just come, you know, go to lulu.com and just search NWSL, I think this is the only book about NWSL and they can nice. find it. Nice, easy to find. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, and and looking back, um, you know, what would you say were your favorite moments slash goals, you know, of Challenge Cup and Fall Series, having watched and rewatched all of them over and over? You know, I, I'm sure you can remember your favorites pretty quickly. <laughs> yes, I'm thinking about it, actually. I can't say one special. It doesn't have to be one, right? Yeah. It, it, um, you know, sometimes... Um, one, uh, I remember uh, one game, it was Houston against, I don't recall which which kind of team, but your captain, uh, Delhi, uh, number four. I remember number that. Number three, goal. number three. Number three or number four? Yeah, yeah. number three, you're right. He, he had, he had he, uh, score a goal with head and it, the angle of... Uh, let's say camera was really good it was uh, behind the uh, goal and it was really cool and i chose that moment for the cover of my book so Ooh, uh, wow yeah and my cover of book is the goalie as uh, the goal from Dali, and the pass was from mavis and mavis and it was a really cool uh, i i catch it I, I can say i just catch that moment and i put it in my cover so i wonder i wonder if that's the semi-final against portland um for portland yes for uh, i personally about portland i have i like portland because of the canadian captain Sinki. of course of yeah. course <laughs> so uh, she's a, a legend and uh, uh, when i want to draw something about sinclair or their her goals I'm really excited. I'm really special for me. And of course, she had so, none in the Challenge Cup, but she had six yes, in the yes. Fall Series. She exactly, was on fire exactly. in the Fall Series. So <laughs> yeah. so let's put it this way. For the Fall Series, which one of 
her goals was your favorite sinking goal? Um, uh, maybe you're laughing at me, but one of this uh, penalty scores is my favorite one because it was the easy one for me to draw. Okay, okay well, that was going to be my next, qu- next question is knowing that she had three penalty kick goals. Yes. How do you capture what how do you choose what moment of the penalty kick goal I'm, I'm assuming you're you're maybe drawing that like before the ball's gone in where it's like a moment that catches a lot of like movement that you know oh. the ball's gonna go in but yeah exactly. how would you choose how to capture I'm excited. I'm excited you as you came up with this question because it is really hard because we have, you have two moments one moment that the player hit the ball and the next moment is the go the ball is true in a net through in a goal right and you have to first of all i need to grab the player when she is hitting the ball and after that you need to go forward maybe a little bit more forward and you you see the diving the yes so you need to go and grab two moments and mix them together and make your artwork so I work like this. It is not just capturing our, or just a click on pause and drawing this. You need to f- mix them from the moment that started, then the last moment that ball is in the goal. That's like it. It's like a story, like the shortest story. You need to grab two or maybe three right. scenes and and choosing whether together. you're capturing the behind the goal angle or behind the kicker angle or another this angle. is actually this is this would be a personal thing for me i really like to grab the good angle sometimes so as you know after the goal you can see the, there are two or three different camera you need to choose one of them for me the most uh, uh, important thing is showing the movement sometimes you can't show the movement from for example behind the goal or from the far, or from so um, from close to the player, because in some sense, in some uh, replying scene, you just can't see the player that hit the ball, and after that, the camera moves and shows the goal. And uh, it is a little bit tricky. Maybe the most important thing in this job, let's say, is <laughs> you need to find your favorite moment and. Yes, as I said, it's two, maybe a three. You need to put it next to each other. You, sometimes you need to showing the movement. You need to add some uh, exaggeration for the movement. You need to some. You need to add some line to show the movement. Some some kind of comic style uh, to show to make it alive. Let's say. It is not just an illustration. It is not just a drawing. And I like it because of this, because you need to choose a different angle. And sometimes it's a big challenge. You find the players. Um, who did the pass? Who was the, the defender against the player? Sometimes I try to choose, I try to put all players' name in the scene. And it is a big challenge for me. For example, in a fall series, for best saves of the week, um, uh, I tried to put the name of any player on the scene. It was a big challenge for me because most <laughs> of the time you have 12, you have 13, and you need to go back, you need to go forward, you need to pause to see the number, to see the face, to, see, to find the uh, players, and I like this challenge. 
This well, is that and, and that's great that you're doing saves too. So it's not just best goals. Yes, it is not it's not all of the goals, but it's it's yes, and because of saves this, I, too. And because of this, I just name it moments, not goals. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yes, this is the best moment for Challenge Cup. It was more difficult because for each game you had best save. So I had to choose. Uh, and um, YouTube makes the thing easier to me, especially the yes. NWSL YouTube. Yes. <laughs> they choose the best moment. You don't need to watch um, ninety minutes the game. You can Correct. just that moment so it helps me a lot a lot to find that moment and work on it now before this year darius um well before 2020 rather how much were you watching nwsl um to be honest with you um, zero second (laughs) (laughs) but now nwsl has another fan exactly now i'm following every day i'm following the twitter account of nwsl i'm just following up the draft days i'm following each team okay which player goes to the team which team added to the nwsl 2021 and now i can say that i'm a really big fan of nwsl not because of my work because as i told you i'm a big fan of soccer it's um, uh, not about the man or woman or i watch any game uh, around the world but here i realize that uh, it is exa- you can see exactly the same power the same ability the same technique that girls do in the field like women like the men right and um, you can sometimes you can see very very special skills from the girls in the field and uh, um, I just wow and I was look at it oh how she did it I can't I couldn't see a man in the field did something like this and for, for me because I know I used to play soccer when I was young and uh, when I see it I really feel that okay this is not easy it's not really easy yes when you are alone you can do it at home you can do it at the, your exercise but in the field in that moment when you decided to do this thing oh it's a big deal and for me yes now I'm a big fan of women's soccer well and I'm sure you've been following Christine Sinclair for a while yeah, yeah sure, that, sure. You know, yeah which is <laughs> sure. which, which is great well I'm 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 so excited that we have uh, it looks like a pretty big slate of NWSL this year, in addition to the the Olympics. Um, so yeah. I want I want everyone to take a look at Lulu.com and and check out <laughs> Darius's book. And uh, how how should people follow you on Twitter if they want to see any um, new stuff you're doing? Actually, I have a main account in Twitter, Darius Comics, and uh, beside I have a, another account, especially just for NWSL, that NWSL dash arts. Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, so everybody can can check those out. Keep current with your drawings. And Darius, thank you so much for all the work you've done to support the game and for taking time to chat today. Thank you, thank you for having me and gave me this opportunity to talk with you and the fan. Uh, hear about me. (laughs) 
All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. Got to say it again, the 2020 Keeper Notes and Cell Almanac. It's ready to order print, PDF, or both. More than 370 pages of comprehensive Cell statistics, statistics, game notes for every season of the league, including the Challenge Cup, Fall Series, playoffs. Um, if you order print, I can put it in the mail within a day. If you order PDF, you'll have a PDF for download within a day. Just head to KeeperNotes.com, click on NWSL Almanacs. And I am, for this summer, working on an Olympic Women's Soccer Almanac too. And be sure you have Woso Nerd Links on KeeperNotes.com. Have that page bookmark. If you want to keep up with all the recent NWSL trades, player acquisitions, signings, etc., I've got a Google Sheet linked on that page that has all the NWSL rosters by club. There's also all of the USA national team call-ups dating back to 2015. Lots of other fun, helpful links like that. And if you're on YouTube, you definitely want to check out the Woso Nostalgia page. Um, I've posted a lot of new videos. Um, I'm also trying to set up some private viewing via Woso Nerd Links on KeeperNotes.com for videos that have been blocked by YouTube. And if any of you out there happen to have old soccer videos, VHS or DVD, seriously, VHS, if you send them to me, I will convert them to digital for you for free. Um, the only catch is I will then post it on YouTube so other people can watch it. But if you've got some old stuff, I am happy, happy to capture that digitally. Just email me, keeper at keepernotes.com for more details. And please feel free to spread the word. And last but certainly not least, next week, the sixth edition of the She Believes Cup kicks off with USA matches against Canada, Brazil, and Argentina. The first doubleheader match day is Thursday, February 18th. All the games will be played in Orlando. They got a nice big bubble there with, you know, fields, hotels, medical staff, all that. So everything's in Orlando. All the USA games will air live on Fox Sports 1. I haven't seen broadcast details yet for the other matches, but I'm sure they'll be broadcast some way they have been the last few years and for more details about the tournament go to ussoccer.com all right that's it for this episode of the mixed zone women's soccer podcast thanks to all my listeners fans followers people that tweet about it tell their friends about it subscribe all that great stuff i really appreciate it thanks to the guests this week and big thanks to my producer sean ringrose whose own podcast you can check out at anchor.fm slash gen orange and that is g-e-n orange for generation orange and as always many thanks to the beautiful game network for making this podcast possible but now she's anybody's girl